Well, church, if you have your Bible, uh, if you don't have your Bible, you can use that Bible in front of you in the pew behind you or in front of you. Page 2 and 3 is where we're going to be today in Genesis chapter 3 as we uh, get jumping into to God's Word and, and looking at um, this continuing story. This is week 3 of 4. We'll finish next week in Genesis chapter 4 as we look around and try to get an eye on um, where God has taken us since the beginning and then all the way through uh, even now. And so this morning, I, I want you to know we're talking about um, life after the fall. What, what happens in Genesis chapter 3 impacts everything afterwards, including us today. We, we can't miss that. In fact, you might find the ability to relate to Genesis 3, 4, and beyond easier than to relate to Genesis 1 and 2, because Genesis 1 and 2, we find ourselves really in that state of perfection, of God's creation, of His hand at work. In Genesis chapter 3, things fall apart because of sin. And I was, was trying to think about the, the picture of what sin does. And I don't know about you, or any of you, do you love like root beer floats or Dr. Pepper floats or anything like that? I'm a fan. Have you ever noticed something when you put ice cream in a cup and you start pouring soda on top of it? It takes like, like a half ounce of soda before the foam comes over the top. Have you noticed that? Like, I don't know about you, but I, I've started putting soda in first and then the ice cream in second to get more soda. But as a kid, I didn't want that at all. I wanted the soda foam to flow over the top. Was that some of your favorite too? Some of you are like, nope, I was a clean kid. So as an adult still, when I drink sodas, I, I watch, I, I want to get the most soda in. But when I watch kids come up to the soda fountain, they're pushing the buttons as fast. They love the foam of it all. And I don't know if you've ever seen someone do this, was watching one day and, and, a, and a child had her foam come up and her brother came and just touched the top of the foam real quick. Do you know what happened to all that foam when he touched it? It all started going away. Man, you would have thought someone was in a major car accident and lost limbs. You know what I mean? It, it doesn't take much. I don't know the science behind it, but you can put your straw in and it doesn't matter. But you touch that foam with your finger and all of a sudden, all of the foam starts breaking down, right? Ladies, you may have done that with a pot before, some of your boiling water, and you put that wooden spoon across the top. Because when it hits that wood, it starts breaking things apart and it, it keeps that reaction from getting bigger and bigger. Well, that's what sin did. In, in the garden, we have chapter one and chapter two, God's creation of all things. We heard the story of man and God's perfect plan. In Genesis chapter three, the way I want you to think of it is, is it's sin just touching one point in time in the middle of our story that started this degradation of creation. And that's what we're going to look at today as we look at sin and this big picture of, of God's plan for us moving forward. But I really believe understanding how sin works, understanding the consequences of sin, and what Christ has done is a game changer in that. I want to read to you Hebrews chapter 4 before we get started. Because I want you to know as we talk about temptation today, who we worship, who we serve. The Bible says it this way. Since then, we have a great high priest, this is Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let then, 
Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, I want you to know the good news of today is that even though we're going to walk through this story of sin, even though we're going to walk through Genesis chapter 3 and there is no escaping its consequences, that we have a Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was tempted in the same way that you and I are tempted, and yet he did not fall. He did not fail. He did not sin. And so therefore, he gives us a new confidence. Believe it or not, a confidence that Adam and Eve did not even know. So let's jump right into it. And let's look at, first of all, this catalyst that started this chain reaction of sin. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 5 says it this way. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the servant, we, we, we may eat of the tree of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, the catalyst for this change that all creation has tasted is temptation. And, and here's something really important for you to know. The reality that temptation has come upon you doesn't mean that you have fallen into sin. And that's why we have to go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 said that Jesus was tempted and yet he didn't sin. And so temptation is the catalyst, but it is not the responsible party. Do you understand the difference in that? You know, I, I, if you're a mom, did you ever say when your child did something, said, well, all the other kids were doing it. Did you ever say it? You know what I'm about to say. Well, if all of your, all of your friends jumped off the top of the Empire State Building, would you just dump to, jump too? You know, we just, would, would you just go along because they did it? See, the temptation is not the responsible party for sin, but it's the catalyst for sin. And, and in this temptation, we see the picture of roles coming into play. And, and this first, first picture zooms in on the serpent and Eve. And scripture said that the serpent was definitely an animal. But as we see in the book of Revelations, the New Testament, we really see that that old serpent is, is Satan. We see that, that he is that tempter, that fallen angel of the Lord. And what's really important before we walk into the temptation is understanding a little picture about the tempter. Because the tempter desires you and I to have a derogatory view of the Lord. He wants our view of God to, to lower him little by little. This degradation of how you see the Lord. Because if you and I can lower the Lord to see him different than he actually is, then in reality is we start to see him the way that Satan did. In your Bible, you could turn there, but in Isaiah chapter 14, listen to a little bit of the story about Satan's point of view of how he sees himself in the Lord. How you have fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. You are cut down to the ground and you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend 
to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will set the mount, set on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. See, this, this heart, this gives us this picture of what pride does. Pride in, in the story of the enemy's heart was simply to say, I will make myself like the Lord. I can bring myself to his level. I can have what he has that he won't share with me. His sovereignty, his place of, of lordship over all creation. Satan's temptation of his own heart was that could, he could be like the most high. So what does he do in the garden? All he does was share who he is. Do you see that? Look, look in your Bible there in verse uh, 1. It said, he said to the woman, did God actually say? You see, this is temptation often starts off with this picture of planting doubt in our mind. Did he, did he actually say that? You know, t tell, tell me that picture. Did God actually say you couldn't eat of any of the trees and the, trees and the fruit in the garden? He, he, is that what he really said? Man, have you ever noticed a child or a friend looking for a loophole? Did it really read that way? You know, maybe you've had an argument with a spouse, a conversation with a friend, maybe with a child. You said, well, listen, I told you not to do that. Did you really say not to do that? Or did you just really recommend I should do something else? Like, how did it really work? See, Satan starts this temptation with doubt. Dude, do I really need to walk in life with other believers in order to be strong? Did God really say that? Or is he just speak highly of it? You see, that's how doubt comes in. Will God really kill you? Will he really discipline you? Look around at all the other people who are caught in sin. You're so much better than them. Did God really say you're just like them? Or are you a little different? See, sin starts with doubt. And then this temptation of sin comes from doubt to this misrepresentation. Look in verse 2 again. He says, Did God really say, actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? I don't know if you've ever been manipulated by someone. But I will tell you in my life, manipulation often happens by overgeneralizations, doesn't it? In fact, have you ever manipulated yourself unintentionally? This is how self-manipulation works out. You feel a certain way in your heart, and so doubt is there. And so you go on Facebook, and you see no one else ever has problems with their kids. So you're a horrible parent. You do nothing right. Every other marriage on Valentine's Day was, I mean, it was all over Facebook. People were buying cars and Lexuses and flowers. And you wrote a handwritten note. You know what? You're really the cause of all the frictions that are going on in your marriage. Have you ever just overly, everybody else is so good at everything and I'm good at nothing. What's the point in even trying? So that's what sin does. Is that, that doubt, and then it, it, it dares you. It dares you after that, that misrepresentation to, to buy into it. And Eve, in this misrepresentation, she starts to buy in a little bit. 
Because she says, well, actually, God didn't say that. What he said was, we shouldn't eat from the tree in the midst of the garden or even touch it or we die. Now, here's something very interesting. If you look back in chapter 2, when God gave the command of not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, here's the crazy thing. Eve's not even alive yet. I mean, check that out. He, he makes that command before Eve's story of creation has started. He told the story to Adam, and what he told Adam is, don't eat of it. And so when, when Eve is now here saying, well, well, God actually said, all of a sudden she's starting to add to his story. It's like a telephone tree. Well, Adam and I were talking and he told me this and what he actually said is this. In fact, Adam may have said, let's not even go near it because we don't want to mess with the, the Lord. Who knows what he said? But then she starts adding the story. In other words, temptation has this doubt and this doubt creates this hole of misrepresentation so that everything can be blown out of proportion so that if it's so bad, your actions just have to pull back a little bit from that misrepresentation to make you feel like you're not doing something re re just resoundingly wrong. And so then what Satan does here in verse four, he says this, you will not surely die. For when, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This doubt leads to this picture of misrepresentation. The misrepresentation leads to this dare. Are you, are you willing? Are you willing to challenge God yourself? See, Satan in this moment is saying, God is a liar. God is afraid. God doesn't like to share. He's a jealous God. That's so true. He's a jealous God. He doesn't want to share with you. He should share. He's afraid of sharing. You can eat of all of this good. You have 712 million wonderful trees to eat from all this great life. But that one thing. God doesn't want to share with you because that's where his source of power lies. And if you eat that, you'll become like him. Isaiah chapter 14, what's in his heart? I will make myself like the most high. This is the same temptation. Are you willing to dare God? Are you willing to say, I know this is the wrong thing to do, but. Have you ever said that? Yeah. How many times have you been in that moment where I know I shouldn't, but, and what's all over your heart is, God will forgive me, it's going to be okay. Lord, Lord, forgive me right now. You see, see, temptation, it devalues your view of God so that you and I are really ready to challenge his will, his word, and his purpose. And Eve does. In this moment, she does Listen, church, this is why Peter says, be alert. Be alert. He, our enemy is, he's roaring around like a lion. He's waiting to devour you. And so you and I need to be alert of how the tempter works in our life and how our sin nature tempts us as well. Because on the backside of sin, a consequence happens. And this consequence happens is unending on this side of, of the cross. Look in your Bible at verse 6 and verse 7. 
This is what the Bible says. It says, Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was a desire to be desired to make one wise. So she took its fruit and ate it. And so she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed figs lead together and made themselves loincloths. Church, I want you to know the catalyst of sin is temptation, but the consequence of sin is personal. In fact, even before the Lord starts handing out the curses of sin, we see the consequences of sin in our life. And, and so much more so to know why we need to be alert, why we need to stand guard, because the consequence of sin starts with shame. That's where the consequence is. Do you know that shame is not a road to forgiveness? Shame is not a path to, to restoration. Shame is the acknowledgement of what I have done and the consequence of sin working in our life. And we see this shame do something. The first thing it does is it gives Eve a false affirmation, right? When we start to mill with shame, this is this false affirmation that what I've done was somehow justifiable or, or somehow I can move through that. There's this weird thing. I don't even know if she knows she's in it yet. But the Bible says as she finds herself in sin, that she, she did this. She saw the tree was good for food and delight to the eyes and desired to make one wise. So she took it. And if you're, men, if you're saying, women, if you just wouldn't have messed up, it'd have been all okay. Note to self, Adam was right there with her, right? Note to self, how many times, men, have you not wanted your wife to run over you so you allowed her to run over someone else, not to the glory of God, because you preferred not to be on the other side of that freight train? Amen? Yeah, that's Adam. He didn't want to stand in the way. And guess what? Because he neglects his duty as a husband. Maybe that's the reason we're standing here today. I'm going to stop. Because listen, in this process, he sees it. He's with her. She saw that it was a beautiful fruit, that it, that it was good. It was going to be a delight to eat. Note to self, this isn't new information. This is a false affirmation that there's something to their story. She's got something in her heart that's brewing. It's a doubt of God. So she sees that what the serpent said is food. It's true that the tree is a beautiful tree and its fruit is beautiful. Note to self, Genesis chapter two, verse nine. What does the Bible said? That God planted every tree in the garden and all of it was beautiful and pleasurable to eat. This isn't new information. It's a twisted truth. See, the, the enemy has made Eve doubt the Lord so that she has forgotten his truth. So that she will buy into his story. That's why scripture says, right? I will hide your word in my heart that I might not what? Sin against God. When we forget God's word, Shame, being starting to doubt God's shame starts to settle in. And we start to believe a false affirmation, what God has already told us to be the truth. It's all good. I'm not keeping you from that tree because it's evil. I'm keeping you from that tree because I said don't touch it. It's beautiful. I don't eat it. It's beautiful. Of course it tastes good. I made it. 
It's just not for you. But then she said she also saw that it was desired to make one wise. See, she buys in. The word desired means that she saw it and the serpent desired it and her heart desired it. She wanted to obtain it and that she could become wiser by breaking God's will and eating. And so she ate and he ate and all of a sudden they had a view on life that they had never seen before because what shame leads to after we see this false affirmation is we see a difficulty or pain in relationship. You see that? Because right after Adam and Eve, they're standing in the garden. They, they were uh, naked and were not ashamed. Chapter 2 ends with Adam at last, remember, was saying, at last, this is the woman. I'm so, I've been waiting for her my whole life. They sin and they give themselves over to a little sin. Eat a piece of fruit, not a big deal. And what do they immediately do? They cover themselves from one another. You see that? They didn't make fig leaves and, and sew themselves together in loincloths to hide from God. God's not with them right there. His presence isn't walking in the garden. You see, because what sin does, even the best intentions, even the most justifiable sins, what it does is it creates layers between us and who we're supposed to be in relationship with. How many times has your public or your private sin caused you just to pull back a little bit from your husband or from your wife? How, how many times has the consequence of sin just draped you just enough so that, that you won't draw near to someone who's walking with Jesus Christ? How many times has that result of shame caused you to doubt God's plan and just put a, an extra layer of protection because you have been burned one too many times. You have been hurt one too many times. Because really, if they saw the whole you, maybe they wouldn't love you. Maybe that shame, it deserves to be my new covering. You see, the consequence of sin starts with shame and this is what happens. Shame leads to a desire to escape. That, that's where it leads to. That's where that withdrawal is. Look in your Bible at verse 8 through, through 13. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree from which I've commanded you not to eat? He didn't say anything about touching. And then the man said, the woman you gave me, she gave me fruit of the tree. Mm. And so I ate. Lord God said to the woman, what have you done? And he, she says, well, the serpent note self that you made deceive me and I ate you see sin when that settles in and our eyes become open that what we have done we know was not right 
it, it brings upon shame, but it causes a desire to want to escape. And see, the escape is escape from being discovered. Do you see that? It's a little bit different than shame. Shame's that thin layer of protectionism. Escape means I don't want to be discovered. Adam and Eve, they do it this way. They hide behind some trees. Now, gosh, golly, I, I loved my children when they were toddlers. Have you ever found your child hiding from you? Let me tell you how mine used to hide when they were very little. <laughs> Did your children hide like that? Because if I can't see you, there's a decent chance you're not in the room with me. Adam and Eve are doing this. They're hiding from the God of creation. They're, they're, they're sneaking. They're, they're just saying we want to escape. They know it's probably futile, but, but they are afraid because that's, what, that's where sin leads us because we've bought into our own thoughts. We've bought into this. And now a God who loves them and they know loves them that made them. The last conversation that we were heard of was, was Adam praising God for this relationship. And all of a sudden they are ascribing this fear because they know They've done wrong. So I just want to withdraw. I just want to pull back. Listen, church, have you ever pulled back from the Lord? Have you ever said, Lord, I, I have done too many things that are wrong. And so I just, I can't even open the Bible and talk to you right now. I can't even read your word. You may hide it under the sense of I'm not worthy. You may hide it under the sense of I'm mad at you. Lord, I can't even pray right now. I don't want to even pray. So instead, I'm just going to hide behind my thoughts. Because that works so well. And so I just need to escape from you, Lord. And what does the Lord say? What have you done? Not because he doesn't know, but because there's a time of confession. He's waiting. What have you done? Did you eat of this? I love this. Adam's response is so beautiful. Verse 11. Who told you? You were naked. Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you? This is a great time for Adam to say yes. It's, it's God giving them a chance to confess. It's giving God a chance for them to own up to it. Listen, in our home, if you've done something wrong, you're going to be in trouble. But if you confess, you're going to be in a different kind of trouble than if you don't confess. You follow me? And so as a parent, because I love my children, we give times of opportunity to confess, not because we don't know, but because we want them to confess. And God says, have you done this? What does Adam say very quickly? The woman you gave me. Okay, the equivalent is... Your wife comes home and the house is a wreck and you were supposed to clean up. What happened? These children you birthed. <laughs> Ladies, that's the time to shut the door, go outside and go have fro-yo. Because what happens next will be ugly, right? It's this, it's blame because that's what escapism does. First of all, it says, I don't want to be discovered. Don't you, I don't want to be called out for my own sin. But this responsibility, I want to escape it too. You're just mean. You're just overwhelming, God. You just don't understand. You set me up. You did this wrong. 
This is this, this part of, of the consequence of sin, is that you will want to escape responsibility. I said I'm sorry. Can't we just be okay again? Man, when we know that sin causes this escapism, it gives us another point to say, God, I repent. What does Eve say? I did it. I gave him the food. I mean, he was right there with me. Man up, sucker. But she doesn't. What does she say? Well, the serpent. Guess who created the serpent? Just saying. The serpent deceived me. It's not my fault. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to figure out this world you're in. I'm pretty new. I may look like an adult, but I've only been around a few days. This isn't on me. See, because sin... Once we buy into it without confession, without repentance, without the Lord restoring our heart, not us sowing fig leaves to make ourselves safe again, sin keeps passing the buck. No one understands. God, you don't understand. I'm going to hide from you because I know that you can see through me, but if I pretend you're not here, it's going to be okay. And if you ask me, or if you question me, or if you send a believer by my way, I am going to redirect because I need to escape responsibility. See, because that's how sin works. Our shame, we do our best to cover it. But the life we walk in, we want to escape the consequences. And if we have to, we'll blame somebody else because... I normally would not have done that. I normally am a great person. I normally, I normally ascend to be like the most high, but today was a bad day. Mm. Sin causes us to want to escape, but, but then in reality, it causes a change. You see, this is the curse. This is a curse that only God could have done. No one else could have done it. Adam and Eve didn't have any power. The best thing they did for their shame was, was cover themselves in fig leaves. That's all they could do. All they could do was hide in the garden from the creator of the universe. All they had was cheap outs, blame, discovery, get out of the way, whatever I can do to run away from it. But what God does is he provides a, a way for them at the same time saying, you have forever changed our relationship. Mm. I can imagine as a parent getting in the car on your way to do something you're really excited for the family to go do. You've been planning this day a long time. And then the fight breaks out in the back. Ten minutes later, you don't even want to be around them again. And now you're more upset because they messed up your surprise. God's not surprised by Adam and Eve's sin. But he lets them know it has changed you. And this is how it's changed you. The Bible says this in verse 14 and 15. The Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, on the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Listen, first of all, God says, your sin, this wrongdoing has cursed creation. Did you catch that? He says to the serpent, you above all the livestock are cursed. In other words, there's an extra curse on you, but 
everything is cursed now. That's why the Bible tells us that creation is groaning to be restored. That, that it's longing for the Lord. That if we were silent, Scripture says, the rocks would cry out. Why? Because creation lives under the curse of our sin. I, mean, I, I don't know if you think about it. But, but animals attacking one another? That wasn't a thing. They, God provided every plant and fruit for ev all of creation to eat everything we needed. And, and so creation, first of all, tastes the, the consequence. No longer man, you who are supposed to have dominion, man and woman, to rule the earth. Now you will struggle. The thing that I have charged you with, because of your sin, you now will struggle Having, there we go, dominion over that. In other words, it's going to be hard for you to carry out my task. So there's a change in our relationship. And then he goes further and he says, listen, one more thing. And he looks to the woman and we'll, we'll, we'll talk to, to verse 15 a little bit more. Verse 16 and verse 17. To the woman he says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. You shall desire for your husband. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Verse 17. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat all the days of your life. Verse 18. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground, and out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The change starts with creation. But then he goes on and he says, but that change extends to your purpose. You're going to struggle with your purpose. Women, there's something that God you, you made you so unique in so many ways, it's unthinkable. But uniquely, God designed women, designed women to be able to give life. That's why Adam named Eve, Eve, the mother, mother of all living, because you can give life in a way that man can't. It's one of the unique purposes that God has given and made women able to do. And so what does God said? Your sin has changed the way you will be able to carry out your purpose. It's going to make it, make it hard. It's going to make it laborious. It doesn't mean I won't let you carry out your purpose, but you will have more difficulty in it. Men, you're supposed to be providing for your wife. You're supposed to be the one who takes care of the things. You're here to tend the garden, to take care of the earth. And so what's the consequence? You, in your identity as being the caretaker, you're going to struggle. The consequences of your sin is, is providing is going to become harder. It's not going to yield fruit. Creation is cursed. It's not going to yield like you expect it to yield. It's not going to be the norm. And so you're going to struggle. Church, our struggling in these areas are the consequences of sin. And they're, they're great. And I think those consequences lead to a curse in our relationships. I mean, think through that. The Bible says to woman, your husband, your desire, desire shall be for him. 
and he shall rule, or your Bible may say, lord it over you. See, the word desire is not out of context, out of place. Eve saw that the fruit was to be desired. The word desire means a desire to obtain. So in other words, the Bible says, ladies, you're going to struggle because you're going to desire to obtain what God has given to your husband. And it's not going to be a holy desire. You're going to want to prove your worth, that you can be him and he can, he can take the back seat or, or that he can eat of the earth or that he can have whatever he wants to try. But your desire will be for the place that God gave him. And, and husbands, you're going to struggle because there are going to be a time where you want to say to the, the one who God gave you as a companion, as a partner, there's going to be an itch in your heart to just... Because I said so. Or maybe because you struggle with your identity, your desire will be just to let her have it because you don't care. Because in fact, this responsibility is too much for you to bear. You see, as a man, when we struggle with providing, doesn't it cause a struggle in our own heart? When you lose a job, when you, when you keep messing up, you just keep not, not being able. Do you know how many marriages have tasted the curse of sin? Because guys, part of our curse is that providing the way God planned for you is going to be hard. And in fact, there's going to be days where you'll say, I just can't do it. Lord, let someone else have the role you've given for me. Church, I tell you all of this because we need to know not just how sin works, but the consequences of sin. That creation tastes it, that our purpose tastes it, that, that our relationships taste it. But Hebrews chapter 4, we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, who let us hold fast to our confession. Let us hold fast. Verse 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet were without sin. You see, the Lord, even in his curse, said, but there will be a way. Satan, you have not destroyed my plan. You have simply bruised it. And there will be a day when I send the seed of woman and you will bruise him. You will, you will try to destroy him, but it will be a bruise, but he will strike your head. He will conquer you. There's a drop of the gospel in the day of the fall. And so we have a great high priest who was bruised, tempted by the enemy but did not sin. And therefore, right here, right now, we can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. You see, this promise isn't just about tomorrow. The promise is for today. That you and I have to understand that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. That we have all earned the wages of our sin. And that we live in the consequence of this, 
shame and escapism and a change. But God's plan was that you and I, through his son, could know restoration in life and, and be changed again. So he sent his only son who endured every temptation and didn't sin. And through him, we find mercy for today in your marriage, in your relationship with your children, with your friends, in your job, in yourself, but only through Jesus Christ. Now, I love Marco and Ruth's story because I, I'm telling you, their joy is so full because they know that this promise of Christ open the door to tomorrow today. They know it. This morning, do you know that truth too? Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your grace and for your love. Lord, we, we know how sin changed eternity. We know how life is not the same. But Father God, through Jesus Christ, we know that we have a promise. And that that promise is that we can be changed again. The old dying and the new coming. Dying to self, to sin, and being raised anew in Christ Jesus. Father God, there's not a soul in this room who has not tasted sin. But Father God, we pray that everyone in this room would be on alert, on guard, through your Spirit so that sin would not rule in these hearts. Father, if there are any in this room that need right now to begin that relationship, that confession by coming out from behind the trees, by confessing their sin, Lord, to you, proclaiming that you are the Son of God who lived a perfect life and who was raised again, by giving their life to you as Lord, would you let their lives start anew? Father God, in Jesus' name, amen.